Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word to learn how to be better able to glorify God. In this lesson, we examine Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 to learn how we are supposed to push and provoke one another, challenging one another to grow in love and good deeds. I hope you find this lesson edifying as we learn to stimulate one another. We've all heard a lot of lessons on Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. So many, in fact, that we might believe that the most important lesson in the Bible is that we make sure we make it to all of the assemblies. Remember, Hebrews 10.25 says, "...not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." Certainly, being at the assemblies of the church, assembling with the congregation, is an important lesson. However, I think perhaps we have missed a more important lesson with our speed and haste to get to verse 25, when perhaps a more important lesson can be found in chapter 10 and verse 24. Here the Hebrew writer says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Tonight, before we hasten on to verse 25, let's hang out here for a little bit and take a look at four great lessons that we can find from this text that make verse 25 work. But these are more fundamental as far as our spiritual growth and the strengthening of this congregation. The very first thing that I want you to notice is that the goal that God has for us is love and good deeds. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, the Scripture there reads that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's the goal of all our instruction, our teaching, our encouragement, our reproof, everything is about bringing folks to love. According to James chapter 2 and verse 5, we're supposed to love God. According to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, we're supposed to love one another. According to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, we're supposed to even love our enemies. The goal of our instruction is that you and I would love that unconditional, agape love. Hand in hand with that, of course, is good deeds. As we grow in love, as we love God, and as we love our neighbors as ourselves, everything else falls into place, doesn't it? The good deeds and the good works that we will do will come and will follow with that. But very interestingly, as we go through the Scripture, you'd be amazed at how many times the Scripture talks about the good works, the good deeds that you and I as Christians are supposed to do. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Scripture there says about Christians who have been created anew in Christ, it tells us what we have been created for, what we have been created in Christ to accomplish. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul said, for we are His workmanship, that is, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Beforehand, God said, these are good works, and my children, I'm creating them as new creatures so that they can walk in these good works. If you take a look at Titus, one of the repeated themes that Paul had as he was talking to Titus was the issue of Christian good works. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul taught Titus, in Titus 2 and verse 7, 
In all things, he said to Titus, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Be an example in good deeds, he said to Titus. We can look down at verse 14 of Titus chapter 2. And he's talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself the people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Why did Jesus die? To redeem us from lawless deeds, to purify us so we could be zealous for good deeds. Look in chapter 3 and verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, Paul said. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good Deeds. We are supposed to be careful. We're to take care. We are to apply ourselves carefully, intentionally, and purposely to good deeds. And as Paul was concluding this letter to Titus, he said in verse 14 of chapter 3, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Paul said, Our people have got to learn to be involved in good deeds. That's us. We've got to learn to be involved in good deeds. But remember Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The goal for our lives is love and good deeds, but not for us. This is the goal so that our Father in heaven might be glorified by us and by others who see us. But there's a natural problem that goes along with pursuing love and good deeds demonstrated in Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. The fact is, when we are pursuing a course of love and good deeds, the natural enemy is just burnout. We get weary. The fact is, we're going to love people who aren't going to return that love at times. We're going to sow good deeds, and there are going to be days and weeks and years where we've been sowing these good deeds, and we don't see any fruit coming from that. The path that follows love and good deeds is a straight, narrow, and difficult path. And there will become a time in our lives when we might just get tired of doing it. Anybody ever been there? I imagine we all have had those kinds of times. Paul's encouragement is, don't grow weary. You will reap. You'll reap the fruit as long as you don't lose heart. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 is a response to that to help us. It points out that we've got to stimulate one another to love and good deeds because we naturally, by ourselves, are probably going to hit times where we lose heart, where we grow weary, where we fall and we fail and we need others to help stimulate us and move us along. We are supposed to be stimulants. That is, we are supposed to be those things that that prod others along, that arouse them and incite them to action. 
And that action is, of course, love and good deeds. When I take a look at this passage, one of the things that's been most interesting, and, and of course, some of you probably already know this because if you read the bulletin article a couple of weeks ago, but I've come to learn that not everybody reads that, so I thought I would repeat it again. When you take a look at the Scripture here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, the words that are used here are just really odd. Here in the New American Standard, it says stimulate. And that, uh, the idea of a stimulus that arouses, that pushes, that prods. But if you look at some of the other translations, very interesting, the terms that are used here. Anybody got the King James with them? David, what's King James say? Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now, typically when we talk about somebody provoking somebody else, what are we talking about? They made them angry. They provoked them. Anybody got the New King James? What's it say, Ron? Stir up. Stir up. Now, typically when we talk about folks stirring up, we say that Edwin stirred up something. What are we typically saying? Caused some problems, didn't he? Anybody got the New International Version? What's that one say? Spur on. Now, that was not too negative. However, when we talk about spurring, we're usually talking about dealing with horses, right? Now, let's not talk, you know, we're not saying anything bad about you. I'm not calling you a bunch of horses and not saying that about me. But when we spur on a horse, what are we doing? We're taking a really sharp metal object and we are jabbing it into its flanks to get it to pursue the path we want it to go, right? Forcing him. Pushing him. Prodding him. This is the picture that the Hebrew writer is pointing out. We are provoking one another to love and good deeds. We're stirring up. We're not letting things lie still and we're not sitting back and being passive and letting each other be passive. We're stirring up one another's lives and we're prodding one another. We're taking this metal object and we're jabbing each other in the flank to push us there on the path of righteousness. What a picture. When we go back to the original language, the picture doesn't get any easier. In fact, the only other term that the root word that's translated here about stirring up or spurring on or stimulating or provoking is found in Acts chapter 15 and verse 39. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 39. Acts 15 and verse 39, the Scripture there says, there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Where it says sharp disagreement, that's the same root word in the Greek as used here to say stimulate, provoke, stir up, spur on. Here's the idea, the picture that we have in this passage is one that's active. It's, it's as though we're in one another's faces saying, I am not going to let you be a loser Christian. I am not going to let you stay where you are spiritually. I am going to be in your face. I am going to be jabbing you in the side, prodding you down the path of righteousness because we are not satisfied with where we are. And in addition to that, I want you to do the same for me. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of spiritual confrontation. But here it's not an issue of arguing and fighting and negative things. It's a positive picture 
of stirring up in one another's lives that pot that says, you're going to move forward. I'm not going to let you just sit where you are. And you're not just going to let me sit where I am. We're going to push each other down the path of righteousness for the Lord's namesake. But before we just get in one another's faces, we also need to notice this. The Hebrew writer did say, consider how. Let's take some thought. The idea here is be careful. Pay attention. Take care to notice what it is that other Christians need. And provide that need in the moment that it is necessary. At that time, consider what everyone needs. What our brothers and sisters in Christ need to help them grow. And so for just a moment, let's consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Because despite this picture, I really don't want to see on our way out tonight a whole bunch of people in each other's faces jabbing each other in the chest with their fingers. Uh, That's, I think, just a picture that's supposed to give us the idea. But how can we actually stimulate, provoke, stir stir up, spur on one another to love and good deeds. Well, Hebrews 10.25 clearly pointed out one way. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We gather together in the assembly in order to provoke, stir up, spur on, stimulate one another to love and good deeds as we encourage one another with what we are doing here as we sing to one another, as we pray with one another, as we study together, participating in the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, giving of our means on the first day of the week. These are all things that encourage us and and stir us up and spur us on and provoke us. But what other things might we do? We don't have time, of course, tonight to to list all the very specific issues that we could use, but I'd like for us to notice at least a general three in Titus chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Three things that that Titus there, that Paul told Titus. In Titus chapter 2, and verse 14, as he talked about Jesus died to redeem us of the lawless deeds, to make a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Paul said then in verse 15, and he provides three general things that we can do, and then the specifics will fall under these categories. He says, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, as he tells Titus, making his people zealous for good works. The three things that we'll do to help people be zealous for good works, speak, reprove, and exhort. Speak. That's just the idea of teaching, just the idea of instruction, just sitting down with one another and opening up the Word of God and saying, look at what it says. Here's what God's commanded of us. Here's what God is teaching us. Here's what we're supposed to be doing. We'll just teach. Do we spend time with one another just studying and teaching the Word of God to one another? Calling up one another and saying, hey, I was reading this passage today. Did you know that it said this? Do we do that sort of thing? Just, and, and it's not because, oh, I, I'm calling you because I know you got a problem with this. It's just, what, have you ever read this? Have you noticed this? Look at what this says. This is powerful. This is amazing. I've never thought about it like this before. And just speaking, teaching, studying with one another. But another thing, reproof or rebuke. That's the idea of seeing somebody doing something wrong who has to be taken aside and said, look, you better straighten up. You continue on in this path and your soul is going to be lost. You've got to change because your soul is in jeopardy. 
And I am here to stimulate you, to provoke you, to spur you on down the path of righteousness. I am not going to sit back and let you follow this wide path to hell. And so I'm going to reprove you. I'm going to rebuke you. Of course, we need to recognize, and remember Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. We need to remember as we are reproving and rebuking that the point is to restore them, not to put them in their place, not to jump all over them and let them know how they're not like us, but the goal is to restore them. And so we do it with humility. We do it with gentleness. We do it because we love them. And that's, that's why we're doing this. Because I want to help you go to heaven. Reprove or rebuke. But then Paul also said to Titus, exhort. It's the idea of encouragement. And I took them out of order because I think this one's probably the one, surprisingly enough, that we have the most difficulty with. I think we, we could probably find it easy to just sit down and let's just read the Bible together and study it and here's what I've learned and what have you learned. And I know it's easy for us to pick apart and find what everybody else is doing wrong and let them know about it, right? But what's difficult sometimes is catching them doing right things and exhorting them in that. We need to be finding what folks are doing right. And say, so, you know what, you're doing a good job at that. Keep that up. Even if, just yesterday, we had to talk about something they weren't doing right. Or even if we had to talk to them right now about something they were doing right. Exhort them. Encourage them. Catch them doing things right. The fact is, none of us is perfect. We're all growing. But if we're going to stimulate one another to love and good works, we need to find those good things that one another are doing, the good works that we're doing, and encourage that. Exhort that. Help them continue on. Lift them up. Give them a boost. How many of us would like to hear that every now and again? I think most of us would. Absolutely. So here are three things that we can do. And just about everything else is going to fall under these headings, all the specifics you can think of. Speak, exhort, reprove. One more thing pointed out there in Titus chapter 2 and verse 7. In Titus chapter 2, and verse 7, Paul, remember, told Titus, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. We can stimulate, provoke, spur on, stir up others to love and good deeds by our good example of love and good deeds. We need to be getting our life right. Do not wait until you're doing it perfectly to get involved in this relationship with others. Start where you are. Because that's what this whole relationship is about. Helping all of us no matter where we are, right? Absolutely. And finally, we need to notice who this responsibility is given to. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to loving good deeds. I want you to notice very carefully, it does not say, let the elders consider how to stimulate you to loving good deeds. It does not say, let the deacons consider how to stimulate you to loving good deeds. It doesn't say, let the Bible class teachers consider how to stimulate you to loving good deeds. It doesn't say, let the preacher consider how to stimulate you to loving good deeds. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, are elders and deacons and teachers and preachers, are they supposed to be doing this? Yes. But why? Because they're Christians. Not because they're elders or teachers or preachers or deacons. We're all supposed to be doing this because we are Christians. 
That's, that's whose responsibility this is. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Verse 11, let's start there. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Why did He give some to be apostles and pastors, evangelists? Not in order to do the work of ministry for the saints, but in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who's supposed to be ministering to the saints? Saints are supposed to be ministering to one another, serving one another, helping one another. God has given some to be pastors and some to be evangelists in order to equip us as saints to minister. That's a powerful thing that's so often missed today. So often we think that that's the elder's job to minister to the saints or the preacher's job to minister to the saints. Absolutely not. It's the saint's job to minister to the saints. The elder's job, the preacher's job, is to equip saints to minister to saints. Who is supposed to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? You are. I am. This is our job. Now, let's think practically for just a moment. I recognize that there's no way that any one of us is going to be accomplishing this for everybody else, even in this congregation. And I am certain, brethren, that I do not want all 150 members of this congregation doing this to me. That'd be tough. But we ought to have relationships within this congregation where we are stimulating others. And there ought to be others within this congregation who are stimulating us. And when everybody is purposely and intentionally finding others to spur on and provoke, and finding others to provoke them on and stir them up, then everybody gets provoked. And that's the way God intended it. The question then is, who are you stimulating? Is there anybody in your life that you are purposely and intentionally stirring up and stimulating and spurring on and provoking? And the other question, are there any people within this congregation who you are letting perform that same responsibility for you? One other issue regarding this. I think probably this would work best if before we all consider who we want to go out and stimulate, if we began by finding others to come to us and stimulate us. I think it would be a lot easier for us to learn how to provoke and stimulate and spur on and stir up when we have allowed ourselves and humbled ourselves with others and let them do this. If somebody came and provoked you to good works, would you let them? 
If somebody came and jabbed you in the flank with the metal prod to push you down the path of righteousness, would you let them? Or would your response be defensiveness that says, well, look at your life first, pal. Let's begin there by finding others to push us down the path. That's not going to be easy. We know that because we all can see, we, we all know what we've got that's wrong. But if we want to grow, we've got to find others who will prod, who will push, who will challenge, who will not be satisfied with letting us just remain where we are. But will stimulate us, spur us on, stir us up, provoke us to love and good deeds. I am convinced that if we want to go to heaven, we're going to have to be involved in these kind of relationships. Are you involved in any, any of these kinds of relationships? Look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, because the Hebrew writer points out how important this relationship that pushes us on to do the, the good deed is. Verse 26, he says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That's said in the context of this, this greater teaching of Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Part of which is getting others to move us along and push us along. Because if you don't have people pushing you along so that you'll be involved in love and good deeds and you keep on sinning, he said, you're going to be lost. This is important. And so again, we just close with those same questions. Who are you letting stimulate you to love and good deeds? And whom are you stimulating to love and good deeds? I want to personally thank you for joining us in this study of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. I hope it stimulated you to love and good deeds. Let's remember what we learned in this lesson. First, our goal is love and good deeds. Second, to attain that goal, we must stimulate one another. Third, we must consider the ways in which we can stimulate one another. We can do so by assembling with the saints, through teaching, through reproving, through encouraging, and through our example. Fourth, every Christian is responsible to stimulate other Christians and to allow other Christians to stimulate them. If you are given this lesson by a friend, I invite you to go to our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com, and download any number of studies that we have available on that site. We have the outlines as well as the audio for many lessons presented at the Franklin Church of Christ. If you have any questions about spiritual growth, about Christians helping one another, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to contact us. You may reach us by calling 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. Again, I want to thank you for joining us in this study. May God richly bless you as you learn to stimulate one another, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.